The following is a fourth-hand production. Elijah, are you ready to bring on the weird? Yes, Will I am. Are you ready to bring on the weird? Did you did you just make a Will I am joke? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> nice. I'll allow it. Anyway, we're just a couple of harmless guys digging into weird things we don't know much about. We're just trying to figure out what the hell is happening in the world outside our homes. Do we get things wrong? Without a doubt. Are we learning from those mistakes? Not anytime soon. Are you entertained by the crap we're talking about? Of course. That's why I always listen to the show. You listen? Alright, what, what do you like to listen to about the show? I like aliens, conspiracies, cryptids, NWO, shadow government, you name it. What? Oh, hold on. Do the aliens come from inside the Earth instead of interstellar travel? What made the conspiracy start? Why did that cryptid evolve to do the things it does? Who runs this NWO? Listen in as we dive into all manners of subjects as we bring on the weird. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to clips of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Obsessed with UFOs and extraterrestrials? Convinced there's a chupacabra in your backyard? Is your doppelganger ruining your life? Do you love all things haunting related? If you answered yes to any, or none of these, then these are the mostly sensical, slightly drunken ramblings for you? Question mark? I'm Emily. And I'm Joel. And we're the hosts of Drink Drunk Dead. Join us, our two cats, Emma and Otto, and our house ghost, every week as we have a few drinks and discuss all things paranormal. And, and raise, raise a, a toast, toast to, to our, our ghosts. Welcome back to State of Fear Podcast. This is episode 21, the great state of Massachusetts, and I am your host, Chris. And to my right, to my left, you don't know where he's at because you can't see him, but it's my good friend, James. <laughs> What's up, peoples? How's everybody doing this evening? Man, everybody is doing hopefully good. I hope so, brother. How you good. been? I'm good. How you been? I'm all right, man. You all right, man? I'm all right. All right, well, uh, we are going to talk about the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. That's a really hard word to say. 
James, do you have any um, what do you call it? Uh, any expertise or any familiarity with the state of Massachusetts? Very little, unfortunately. Really? Been there a couple times. Okay. Been to Fenway to watch the Astros. Okay. I have seen the Patriots game against the Texans. All right. And I did go to Salem. Tell me about Salem. Salem was very cool. Okay. Very small. It's like a little square inside of a town. Really? I don't remember the, out, the surrounding town, and for that I apologize. But the town itself, beautiful brick buildings, great streets. I mean, it's very clean, very nice. But it is unfortunately very touristy. I mean, I think I saw a tourist, a tour guide, like on every other corner. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. You know, these big hat wearing guys, and yeah. the, I was listening to some of them as I was kind of walking out of the shops, and they were very knowledgeable about it. And I know we had kind of touched on Salem very, very, very little back in another episode when we talked about Hannah Cranna. Oh yeah, and Connecticut, Connecticut, yeah, yeah. uh huh, uh huh. But. Uh, that's My it? friend, that's about it. You yeah, guys I've only been through Massachusetts the one time. So. You guys didn't take a tour of the uh, Salem Witch Trial? We didn't actually do one of the tourist things because we were actually, you know, due somewhere. We were trying to oh, make okay. a schedule. We, we were trying to keep it on schedule. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, But no, you but we did stop and take a look. Cool. Just to say, we saw it. Okay. Uh, it was nice. That's it. Okay. Sorry, I don't have nothing more. That's cool. Nope, nothing more are interesting you, to say. <laughs> are you familiar with uh, any of the? Are you familiar with the Bridgewater Triangle? I have heard of it, and that's about it. Okay, what about the other two triangles of the world, the Bermuda and the Dragons? The Dragon one, I barely heard of. Okay, that, that one didn't ring a bell at all until you kind of looked it up. All right, and I was like, oh yeah, now I remember. But the Bermuda Triangle, everybody knows that one. It's world famous. It's world famous. Yeah, uh, and I finally get to do my tie-in with the Close Encounters and the Aliens. Flight 19 disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, and so did the Cotopaxi, that large cargo ship mm-hmm. that ended up in the desert in the movie, right. if anybody's ever watching it and sees it. But that disappeared there as well as, I mean, amongst thousands of other aircraft, and ships. ships, and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I believe it's been long rumored that it's actually an extraterrestrial zone, and these people are actually abducted. They don't quote-unquote disappear they are actually abducted oh there there are plenty of theories um there's that one there's also the theory that uh it's actually the place where the city of atlantis sunk and that is true and that the disappearances are due to the security systems that atlantis has uh, around its city still uh and that there's just vortices within the whole area of the triangle that just suck in planes and suck in ships and stuff and also a highly magnetic asteroid that it hit there you know, millions of years ago, mm-hmm. solid iron core, very magnetic, and it literally yanks boats underwater, uh, literally yanks aircraft out of the air. Gotcha. Uh, that's why the instrumentation goes berserk in the area, stuff like that. That's one of the other theories I heard. Well, the Bermuda Triangle uh, extends from the island of Bermuda down to Miami, Florida, down uh, sorry, west to Miami, Florida, and then down to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and then back up north to Bermuda. So that's the coverage of the Bermuda Triangle. It's quite a large co- uh, area of sea. It is a very large covers. chunk. Very yeah. large chunk. Now, the Dev- the Dragon's Triangle, that one's different because that one's actually in... Um, uh, that one's actually in the Pacific Ocean, and it's located near the Japanese coast. And it doesn't actually... 
uh, touch any particular islands per se like the Muta Triangle does, but um, it's very close to, it's just north of the Philippines and just west, uh, uh, east of like Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, but it also goes near the northern, um, uh, sorry, the southern part of uh, Japan. Uh, but yeah, so it, it's actually in the middle of the ocean uh, that the triangle points form. But again, it's very much the same thing as the Verbena Triangle. It's place of a lot of disappearances, a lot of bad weather, uh, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Where is it uh, in position with, like, the Marianas Trench? Because I know the Marianas Trench is very, very deep. I'm just oh, yeah, wondering it's the deepest if, part of the, of the ocean. Yeah, because yeah. when stuff disappears in there, you can forget about it. Oh, yeah, it's because giant creatures live in there, and they're they're uh, they're biting, eating ships and stuff. That's why. Try to tell me there might be one of those big old, uh, what's them, that, that uh, Creature from the like big shark, that huge oh the megalodon, the megalodon, yeah. yeah, 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 the meg. So it's actually it is right near the the, uh, the trench. Statham, good movie. So it's actually <laughs> right near the trench. Actually, you're you're, you're yeah, cause see, wow. yeah. So um, the eastern border of the triangle is just outside the, where the trench is. So wow, yeah, because it is it is right here. Woo, yeah, yeah. that's no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you're sinking there. You are never coming back up. Even James Cameron can't find you at that point. No, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob Ballard can't go that deep. Jacques Cousteau, you, you he ain't gonna find you ever. Nope. So, yeah. All right. Well, before we get into the uh, main story, why don't we get into the weird news of the day? My favorite part. <laughs> Today's story is dated May 24th of 2019, so a little over a year old, but I found it pretty interesting. Uh, this is a little three-part story. Awesome. Title of the article is Three of the Strangest Results to Come Out of Ancestry DNA Tests. Cool. Now, I have a friend whose name I will not mention mm-hmm. who has actually tried to be tested by Ancestry eight times. Eight times. And has come back eight times as unidentifiable or... It just won't register. It just, it's, I don't know what it is. So he's so, an alien. So I tease her. And oh, tell she's her, an alien. Tell her she's an alien. That's as she's much as I'll say. She, yeah, I tell her, I say, you're, you're extraterrestrial. Yep. I said, so be glad. That's cool. <laughs> well, anyway, the story goes, many people have tried DNA home tests to find out more about their ancestry. They're interested in whether their ethnic ancestry differs from what they know whether there are any relatives out there they know nothing about, and whether they are genetically predisposed towards any health conditions. Now, I will say this. Hmm. My family has had uh, a gene a gene pool study. They did the, the, the ancestry, okay. ran our family back. I don't All know right. if they actually use DNA samples or nothing, but uh, I have several very interesting characters in my past, including the... Very cool. Jesse and Frank James. Cool. They are actually distant cousins. I am distantly related to the Bush presidents, and also I am related to some knight whose last name was Armstrong, who okay. saved 
a king in battle in England once. Cool. I don't know which king. I need to get the book because I should know more about my own family. And I'm also kin to the bonehead General George Armstrong Custer. Oh. His middle name came from the old English family name. I'm part of what's the Smith or Smythe family from England, mm-hmm. uh, parts of Germany, the Howard clan from Scotland. So got all kinds of weird stuff over there. It's very, very, very cool. But uh, nobody so, wants to hear that, so I'm gonna. <laughs> I mean, I I took a I took a DNA test uh, not too long ago, and it just came back saying that I was 100 percent that bitch. So oh man, yeah, go on. All right, these are all very good reasons to try an ancestry kit. If you're interested in trying it for yourself, check out some he- check out some help for choosing the best DNA test. But beyond the many benefits, we've we've been graced with some very strange stories along the way. There have been results no one anticipated, and some have even led to greater discoveries. Here are three of the strangest results to come out of ancestry DNA testing. First one, not my children? Question mark. One of the strangest DNA test results is the story of a woman who had twin daughters. She took a DNA test and found out the twins weren't hers. Wow, what? Yeah. She carried these to term, and they were not hers. Wow. However, she knew all too well she had conceived and birthed them. Yeah. And it had to be a mistake, right? The truth is incredibly strange. Her children had her aunt's DNA, her sister. Whoa. The thing is, she didn't have a sister. What? Not a living one, at least. Yeah, this this I found very strange. It turns out that she had absorbed her twin sister in the womb, and Whoa. it was her sister's DNA that was showing up in her daughter's test. Holy shit, that's that crazy. That is weird. Wow. Yeah, I was like, man. That's mm. cool. Second story is called A New Identity. Sounds like a new Star Wars episode. Oh, yeah. A New Identity. The story of Krista Bryan is also incredibly interesting. She grew up considering herself Hispanic, Her father died by suicide when she was still a baby, and she still did not have all that much idea of her paternal heritage. She decided to try an ancestry test to find out more about herself. She found out more than she expected. Isn't that what usually happens? Yeah. Not only was her father not dead, but he wasn't Hispanic either. He was actually an African-American man who had known her mother briefly. Wow. Krista had to reassess the way she thought of herself. But she says that meeting her newfound family was well worth it. That's cool. That is very cool, especially if you find out who it is. Yeah, and you can actually go find them. And see, and, and and the whole time you thought you were one heritage, and now you're another heritage. Yeah, you know, and that leads to another thing. Sometimes I think about you know when these DNA tests and stuff like that, because a lot of it is to find your true father and stuff like that, or mother, whatever the case may be. Uh-huh. And I kind of have mixed feelings on it. Because, like, if if you're, like, an infant uh-huh. and you're adopted by parents as an infant, I personally mm-hmm. don't think you should ever, I mean, you know, they have their ways now, but I don't think you should ever tell a kid, if, if you had them since an infant, that you're not their real parents. Because I think the emotional shock would be almost too much to bear. I mean, it would... I mean, I don't know. That's just my opinion. What do you yeah. think? Um, well, as as a, a person whose family has adopted two two sister, my two sisters, who were adopted when they were still infants, uh, we told them. Oh, okay. Now it's different, I guess, in a way for us because we're all white. My well, my brother's Hispanic. He looks Hispanic. I look white. 
and my sisters were adopted. They're Filipinos, so obviously they look okay. different. But yeah, we we definitely told them because I think it's in the parenting. If if you are secure enough in your parenting, and, and you and your kids have a good enough uh, um, line of communication, then when they're old enough, you can gently break it to them to let them know. Because I I think personally, if the kid ends up wanting to try and find their real parents, I think that's fine. Okay. Um. Even even if it's not to to get to know them. They just want to find out why they were let go. That I understand. You know? Yeah, they, they want to get to the, the, the root cause. Yeah. Or what, what it was. Why did you have to give me a... A lot of times, like you said, it's an underage girl. She's 13, 14, 15 years old and has no way of supporting a child. So it would be better for the child to be raised in a family that's already established. It can bring them up right, take care of them. I mean, just, I just it. really any reason why you, you can't take care of a kid is, is, is a good reason to give it up for adoption as opposed yeah. to, like, you know, to anything else. But, um, again, it depends on the line of communication between the parents and the kid because if you don't think your child – you think your child has, has a lot of, like, anxiety, depression, things like that, yeah. and they probably won't be able to take that kind of news – then maybe not tell them or wait till they're a bit older to tell them. Yeah, well, my best bud up in Idaho, he mm-hmm. he was adopted. Him and his brother yeah. were both adopted from different families. Mm-hmm. They weren't adopted as, as – they weren't brothers when they were adopted. Right. They were both brought in and were raised together as brothers. Yeah. Uh, so – and they didn't have any problem with it. Yeah. They, they, you know, I guess maybe that's just me because um, I'm just thinking about it because, you know, it, it's hard to imagine what it would be like to be told, you know, you're adopted, you know, and be like, wow. I guess it's also the way you tell them you're, as well. Like, it's one thing where if you're having a fight with your parents and your parents are pissed off at you and, and, and you say some smart-ass thing to them and, and just for retaliation they say, well, you're adopted. That's different than like, hey, honey. Well, that's weaponizing we, and we, traumatic. Right. I think, I we need to sit down and tell you something. You know, we, you know, we, 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 your parents, we, we've raised you for the past 18 years. We love you. But you were actually adopted. I mean, that's a whole different, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah. But I'm going to tell you what. Mad props to parents who adopt, people who adopt these kids because there are so many out there who so need, many need, yeah. need parents, need yeah. a family. And it, it is a blessing. Yeah. So it's just a matter of telling because, unfortunately, sometimes the kids are six, seven, eight years old. They're older, and they already are aware of their surroundings. Right. So I guess when in those situations, it's not that big a deal. I guess it's just, you know, if you grow up and these are the only parents you've ever known, do you tell them? Yeah. You know, but well, depends on, the, I guess, the situation, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, the third and last segment is called Blood and Water. When you think about the difference between family and friends, the statement, blood is thicker than water, comes to mind. Family is family, no matter how much you fight or try to avoid that reality. That ain't no kidding. But friendships can be very significant as well. There are millions of people who have lifelong friends who are, for all intents and purposes, family. My brother Jimmy. I don't call him my friend. I call him my brother. Right. Him and Johnny. I said, these are my brothers, you Mm -hmm. know, blah, blah, blah. And... I've known him literally since 1974. So that is, uh, let's see, I'm 52, about 45 years now. Yeah, because I was know. born in 79, so it's 45 pretty much, years. Pretty yeah. much whole, my whole life. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my brother-in-law is my best friend. He was my best friend in awesome. um, high school before he even met my sister, and now he's my brother-in-law. So Sweet. Yeah, he's definitely family. Yep. For Walter McFarlane and Alan Robinson, the reality turned out to be rooted in fact. They had each separately taken DNA tests and were told they had a half-brother. 
When they were put in touch, neither could quite believe that the person who had been by their side for so long was actually their brother. That is very cool. That's cool. They found out this information in their 70s after more than 60 years of friendship. Wow. Holy crap. That is awesome. The truth is that for them, the information just served as further proof that they were that they already knew they were family, even if their DNA had never matched. Amen. That's funny. You know, you know damn well that they only got along so well for for sixty years because they weren't actually family. Because let me tell you something, <laughs> I've I've had my younger brother, you know, alive for the past thirty years, and we have not gotten along completely the past thirty years. So I I think people take their family more for granted than they do their friends because. Friends are not bound to you no matter what. Family yep. is. Mm-hmm. Even though some people will say that's not true. You know, people desert each other. Families desert people each other. People disown each other. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, people give up for adoption. I mean, that's just but, yeah. unfortunate how it is. But, but yeah. that is the story, man. Cool, I man. like that. I thought that was very. Hey there. This is Erica Kelly, host of Southern Fried True Crime. I cover contemporary and historical cases, and I love listener suggestions. And like any good gossip, I'm interested in anyone and anything. Come join me as I explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. I'm a one-woman show in a narrative format, kind of like sitting by the fire and listening to a story. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find me on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care interesting man, and that a little was bit great. different yeah that was cool a little man bit different. especially that first one was that was awesome that was yeah absorbed her twin system absorbed sci-fi twin stuff system. man and then the dna got into the twins very weird but you know what it's like her sister was born anyway that's a good that point. is very cool that's where i didn't think about like that said, way she didn't get a chance to man, live that's deep that's deep, deep man deep. Didn't even think about that way man dang that's so deep all right man well let's roll with your stuff my good man So today's main topic is on the Bridgewater Triangle, which is an area of about 200 square miles within southeastern Massachusetts in the U.S. and claims to be the site of alleged paranormal phenomenon ranging from UFOs to poltergeists, orbs, balls of fire, and other spectral phenomenon, various Bigfoot-like sightings, giant snakes, and the infamous Thunderbird. That's it. I'm going back to Massachusetts, and I am taking my butt. To the Bridgewater Triangle. You take it there, dude. I mean, that's... I'm serious. That's like all the new West Virginia. That's one-stop shop. Amen. Amen. The Wampanoag tribe gave the spot the name Huckamuck, which means place where spirits dwell, and the colonial settlers called it the Devil's Swamp. Of course, it's going to have an evil name. (laughs) It's it's a scary place, so it's got to be the devil. Devil. From about 380 to colonial times, Native Americans depended on the swamp as an abundant source of game. These people revered the swamp for its bounty and used some areas for sacred burial grounds. That's why it's haunted. Most likely. You have, it's, it's like Poltergeist movie. Mm-hmm. It's like Pet Cemetery. Yep. There's haunted Indian 
uh, Native American burial grounds. Native American people are very powerful in spirit. Oh my gosh! So because they're so close to the earth, messing with them, yes, and you start messing with their sacred lands, their burial grounds, and that's why you always run into trouble when you mess with the Native Americans. They're like the real life swamp things. They're like of the earth. Yes, and they control. Yeah, it's it's crazy. They're they're an awesomely cool people. I yeah, have known some Native Americans, and they are just beautiful souls. Man, they're great people. The Wampanoag both worshipped and feared the area, as the chief deity of death and disease called Hobomok was said to dwell in the swamp. Now, among many Algonquin tribes, uh, Hobomok was often destructive, evil, and usually in opposition of Kautantuit, the great creator god. In 1678, Metacomet, chief of the Massachusetts Wampanoags, was slaughtered by one of his own men and beheaded by English settlers at King Philip's Cave in the swamp. The Huckamuck Swamp, an enormous swath of marshland that comprises the largest freshwater basin in all of Massachusetts, was the final holdout for Metacomet and his warriors in the days leading up to their annihilation by the English. Bastards. By the end of King Philip's War, nearly 3,000 Wampanoag men, women, and children were killed or sold into slave ships bound for the West Indies. Their landscape is dotted with stone monuments to their lives here. Their ghosts have morphed over centuries into foreboding fairy tales of fantastic creatures and fanged entities. There's a lot of Fs in that sentence that tell yep. us more about the ancestral guilt and paranoia of the conquerors than the natives themselves. At Profile Rock in Freetown, natural granite formation resembling human face watches over the woods. Oh, man. Locals claim the natives believe the face to be the image of Chief Massasoit, Philip's father, who was friendly to the newly arrived English. Perhaps the most interesting spot in this area is Dighton Rock. People of unknown origin carved figures of people, animals, and symbols into the flat side of this trapezoidal boulder roughly the size of a small Volkswagen. The origin and meaning of these markings has been the subject of debate for centuries, with theorists attributing the petroglyphs to peoples as various as ancient Native Americans, Phoenicians, Norse, colonial Portuguese, and evil medieval Chinese sailors. In the 1950s, the stone was removed from the river by crane and deposited on the shore where a museum was built up around it. That's really cool. Wow. Today, a small but knowledgeable fellowship of local citizens run the museum and even organizes lectures exploring the history of the area and the theories surrounding the stone and its marking. Like the Shankara stones. Oh, there we go. You betrayed Sheba. <laughs> All right. Specific boundaries of the Bridgewater Triangle were first defined by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, who coined the term in the 1970s, and then in his book in Mysterious America. He wrote that the Bridgewater Triangle encompasses the towns of Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown at the points of the Triangle, and Brockton, Whitman, West Bridgewater, East Bridgewater, Bridgewater proper, Middleborough, Dighton, Berkeley, uh, Rainham, Norton, Easton, Lakeville, Scenic, and Taunton as the inside the triangle. Well, it is 200 square miles. So that, well, and, and yeah, and it's a small state anyway, so yeah. that's going to be most of the, yeah. That is true. Similar claims have been made about an area in neighboring Vermont called the Bennington Triangle, and I think we just found our Vermont episode. Uh, <laughs> claims of the paranormal, again, include Bigfoot sightings, Thunderbird sightings, animal mutilations, Native American curses, UFOs, and even ghostly panthers. Ghostly Ghostly panthers. panthers. I want one. Oh yeah, right. Because I mean, there'd be no like cleanup. Yeah. There'd be no cleanup after it. It wouldn't nope. leave droppings or anything. Nope, and it would scare the hell out of burglar. <laughs> oh, oh yes, it would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so 
As I mentioned, Lauren, uh, Lauren Coleman was the first to dub it the Triangle in the 70s, but he clearly wasn't the first to conclude that the Huckamuck Swamp is a dark and sinister place where terrifying and mysterious things seem to happen on an inexplicably frequent basis. Man, I got to go. The Huckamuck's me- <clears throat> Huckamuck means Devil Swamp, or a place where evils dwells in Algonquin, as we previously mentioned. Reports of odd and malevolent occurrences around the Bridgewater Triangle abound, said paranormal researcher Christopher Pittman. But by far the most common report Pittman receives is the feeling of being watched while in the swamp. It's a swamp. There's eyes everywhere. There's either going to be gators, buzzards. Snakes. Snakes, frogs. Yeah, Yeah, all kinds of... Something's going to be there. Something's looking at you. Yeah. He said reports often came to him from fishers and hikers from other areas who have seemed to have no knowledge of the legend of the Bridgewater Triangle. Quote, they find out I'm a paranormal researcher and begin to tell me about this eerie feeling they had and I just know where it happened before they say anything. End quote, said Pittman, who began investigating the Triangle in 1996 while he was still in high school in Attleboro. Now we're going to go over a bunch of different reports of things that have happened inside the Triangle. Now again, it's not not all the reports, but these are some of the more um, infamous ones. Some of the better ones. Some of the better ones, right. Yeah. Uh, Early on, the forest was said to have been home to a race of diminutive humanoid creatures known as Puckwudgies. (laughs) (laughs) Puckwudgies? Puckwudgies. Long known in Delaware and Wampanoag Indian folklore, these troll-like creatures, generally described to be three to four feet tall, with smooth, hairy gray skin and large ears, it's like a lawn gnome, basically, Okay, have a notorious reputation for mischief and mayhem. I want a puck wedgie. You want a puck wedgie and, and a you, ghost panther. And a ghost panther. Yeah. So you got to move to, Ma- the, you gotta move to Massachusetts. Puck, wedgie, puck wedgies in, in the front yard. Okay. Ghost panther in the front door. Ghost that, panther in the backyard. In the backyard. You got both areas covered. Uh, they were said to have been friendly to humans, but later turned against them. These evil little beings have been blamed for people who have fallen off cliffs, disappeared, or mysteriously died. 1760 was the date for the first documented UFO report in the entire world. Wow. It was sighted directly over the Bridgewater Triangle. Neat. I like so, that. Yeah. I that is look that up. That is a very cool... 1760? Uh, yes, for the first documented UFO report in the entire world. In all the world where it happened... It happened over the Bridgewater Triangle. Nothing flew back then, so that is awesome. Yeah, they, they you know, I mean, it was a, uh, it was an angel. That's what it was. Then in 1908, local papers reported on another UFO sighting. Then in 1968, several witnesses allegedly saw a large orb floating in the trees in the woods of Rehoboth. Then in the 1970s, UFO sightings were frequently reported in the area newspapers. In fact, in 1976, two UFOs were seen by witnesses to land along Route 44 in Taunton. A Bridgewater policeman also reported seeing a UFO in 1994 in the town of Rhineham. In 1971, Norton Police Sergeant Thomas Downey was driving along Winter Road in Mansfield toward his home in Easton. As he approached a place known locally as Bird Hill in Easton, at the edge of the swamp, he was suddenly confronted by a tremendous winged creature over six feet tall with a wingspan of 12 feet. Mothman. Of, of eight to 12 feet, excuse me. Yeah, Mothman. Yeah. Sounds like Mothman, yeah. The Mothman. In 1976, a huge black killer dog was reported in Abington within the Bridgewater Triangle by Abington firefighter Philip Kane, who said it ripped the throats out of two of his ponies and terrorized the community for several weeks. Dang. In 1993... The reports of a large, light tan cat the size of a Great Dane dubbed the Mansfield Mystery Cat. Okay. 
I want the Mansfield Mystery Cat too. Ghost Panther, Mansfield Mystery Cat, and Fuck Wedgie. All right, Fuck Wedgie. make yep. a list. Make a list. I've got a list running. Every January, spook lights, unexplained elusive balls of light, have been seen over the railroad tracks that run beside the Raynham Dog Track and through the swamp. In 1997, a law enforcement officer working the night shift in Bridgewater saw a very large triangular UFO with three white and two red star-like lights. Huh. Yeah. Similar to the uh, craft over uh, Alaska. Yep, and to the one in Germany. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah all, the triangle was very popular in, in the 90s. Go listen to our Alaska episode. Yes. Talks a lot about those. Actually, the one in Alaska was dome-shaped. Well, there was one, but there were two side by side that were more were more uh, rectangular. Were there? I don't remember. I remember them being like like almond shaped. There was one that was an almond shape, the one that was following them. But they were ch- when he was chasing the other two that were in formation. Oh, but now I'm straying off. Sorry. Now I have to go back and listen because I forgot. For two days and nights, 1970, Bridgewater and state police with attack dogs stage a hunt for a quote giant bear, unquote. Even though no bears lived in the area, following numerous reports of sightings of a hairy seven foot tall creature. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Ain't no damn bear. It's Bigfoot. Prophecy bear. No. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's prophecy bear. There you go. Perhaps the most haunted school in the triangle is the one that bears its name. Melanzo wrote in Ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> it's Belzano. Belzano. Bel- Belzano. Bel- 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 What's that? Belanzo? I just don't shit wherever. Belzano wrote in Ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle. Among the spots on the Bridgewater State University campus said to be haunted are the Shea Durgan Dorm Room 228 in the auditorium, which is said to receive visits from a mischievous ghost named George who plays with the stage lights and sounds, according to the website Haunted Places in Massachusetts. I wish my brother George was here. (laughs) Visitors to the Taunton State Hospital have reported strange happenings, including having their shoulders and legs touched and pulled when entering certain areas of the hospital. There were areas of the hospital that were allegedly used by satanic cults in the 1960s and 70s. Of course. <laughs> Always got to have a cult in there somewhere. Got to be, yep. And as we mentioned earlier, Profile Rock in the Fall River Freetown State Forest, the largest in the state and a location that has been tied to some grizzly murders, body discoveries, and rumors of satanic activity as well. You know what? The East Coast was really messed up in the old days. <laughs> you know, they really were. I mean, different think time. about the history, man. Barbaric almost in a lot of cases. It's a different time. Ridiculous. Yes, it was. Some paranormal experts argue that there was a strong negative energy that encompasses the forest and is the reason for strange happenings there. Others believe that the forest is simply so accessible, just off Route 24 in Assinet, and so vast that people in surrounding towns utilize it to cover up their crimes. Mm-hmm. Nearby on Copycut Road, Travelers have reported a truck driver following him too closely and honking his horn, making wild motions with his arms. The truck then disappears. The legend is somewhat obscure, according to some, but in a 2006 article on the Bridgewater Triangle, a local resident who owns a farm off the road told the Globe reporter, Brian McQuarrie, it's news to me. Um, sounds like Large Marge. Large Marge or Large Fan- Marge. Phantom 309. If everybody's oh. seen the Big Joe and Phantom 309, yeah. that old song... Or it's Deeper Scoopers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is a stretch along Route 44 in Sekong where the red-headed hitchhiker has become a phenomenon. Motorists have reported seeing a man with long red hair and a full beard walking along the roadside, but when they stop to pick him up, the man disappears. Others have allegedly reported driving through the spirit and even having picked him up before his disappearance. Damn. So you've got a lot to work with here when you go. Yeah, you certainly do. 
This is like, like I said, this is one stop shop this for, needs a, to be for like a paranormal a, person. It's like a full two week vacation. Amen. You know, all those days. You to, have to. Yeah. Monday, we're going to do Bigfoot. Tuesday, <laughs> it'll be UFOs. Wednesday, we'll do orbs. Thursday is the redheaded hitchhiker. Yep. In the towns of Freetown and Fall River, there have been several cases of reported animal mutilations. When the local police investigated, their findings indicated that the mutilations were the work of a local cult. After a cow was found carved up in the woods, a group of young calves were discovered in a glade so grisly mutilated that it appeared to be a, quote, ritual sacrifice, end quote. Just off Route 24, the mutilations and alleged animal sacrifice were discovered in the Freetown Fall River State Forest. It's long been believed that the site of the ritual is not just animal sacrifices, but human murders that were committed by satanic cults. This forest is also the site of many suicides, which adds to its eerie atmosphere. Hopefully it was those satanic cult <clears throat> members, bastards. I hate animal sacrifice. That oh, I know. That's ticks that's... me off. So I hope they were the ones that committed suicide if anybody <laughs> was going to do it. March 1979, radio newsman at WHDH in Boston, Boston, in Boston, Boston, in Boston, spotted a UFO which he described as being shaped like home plate on a baseball diamond with a bright red light at its top a powerful white headlight at the bottom of the point, and rows of white and red lights along the edges. Triangle. I'm I'm sitting there saying these sound like the same craft. Yeah. So this it's, could be the same gang. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Uh, he saw the strange aerial phenomenon uh, apparition at the junctions of routes 24 and 106 near the center of the Bridgewater Triangle. He saw a triangle within the triangle. That's right. Some people say the area has been cursed by Native American spirits because the land was taken from the Wampanoag people. Others believe that the area emanates negative and disruptive energy because of the brutal conflict between early settlers and the Native American people of the region during King Philip's War, the bloodiest war per capita in American history. By the end of the war, nearly 3,000 Wampanoag men, women, and children were killed or sold into slave ships bound for the West Indies. Some say it is haunted by these many people who lost their lives and their lands. Yet others believe that the area is a vortex or window where the laws of gravity seem not to operate in ways as understood in the natural world. Of course. And that and I, is the Bridgewater Triangle. Absolutely. And I 100% agree with the Native American. Not, I wouldn't even call it a curse. Uh, I'd call say it uh, ang- revenge. Anger. Uh, anger. To come up and... I was going to say, you don't mess with the Native Americans. Man, there's a lot that has happened. And again, I said, like I said, I didn't get every occurrence or story that came up i just we'd, picked it'd be hours oh my it would gosh take hours to go through yeah, it all. yeah. it'd be like a five-parter but i'm serious we we need to go investigate massachusetts i we need to take we two weeks to. get the whole gang up and go That's and just right. in, and investigate everything the bridgewater triangle man cool stuff absolutely love it all right james why don't you tell the five folks at home where they can find us where they can support us and all that good stuff it will be my pleasure uh, you can find us on the fourthhand.com network along with our sister project, What the Suck. You can find us on Facebook and we are also on Instagram. Uh, if you'll please follow us, like us, look, uh, listen to the episodes, leave us reviews, you know, check us out, give us ratings. All this stuff helps us. You know, we're trying to get this out there and get it spread out. And also, if you guys have any personal stories that you want to tell us um, that happen in any state, no matter what it is, no matter what time frame, whether it's paranormal or just weird or normal, email them to us at stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to include your name. Now, th- this th- this email to us in an audio format, either MP3 or WAVE. Um, and when you tell the story, start with your name, where it happened and when it happened. Um, and then tell the story. And at the end, if you have anything that you want to pitch, whether it's your own podcast or your artwork or whatever, 
throw that in there as well. Please. Uh, email it with the, between a five and ten minute segment and uh, send it to us at stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com. And then we will put it up on the respective episode. Yep. Like I said, if we've already done the state you're in, do not worry about it. Please do it anyway. We'd love to hear your stories. We can do more than one personal story per state. Like I said, we're just getting this project kicked off. We're about halfway through our first season almost. All right, James. Well, uh, this was a lot of fun, but I'm ready to move on to the next state. Absolutely, man. Let's get on down the road. What do you say? All right, man. Deuces. Peace. Peace.